0: Hello everybody, this is Austin from Retrograde Podcast. I just wanted to let you all know that in this movie, Constantine, there is a potentially sensitive topic that we talk about. Um, This movie does have a bit to do with suicide, and we know that can be a kind of triggering topic. So if that's not something you wanna hear about, um, you can feel free to skip this episode. If you're somebody who has depression, I have depression. If suicide is something that you think about, there is help out there. You can call 988 or text TALK to 741-741. Just remember somebody out there cares about you.
1: Your move, creep Wish me luck, Freezer. You're welcome, cocoa. Dino, DM it.
0: Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It. It's a good looking boy.
1: I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's my right, form. Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up.
1: I am Austin. And I'm George. Okay, so we're continuing our spooky month of spooky movies. We've done, uh, what movies have we done? We've done Hocus Pocus and we've done Hellraiser so far. Mm -hmm. Various types of spooky movies, but you know. We're trying to do a variety of them. And now we're going to do a film that's maybe not necessarily scary. It it might go into the horror genre, but it's something a bit more mainstream. This is kind of a good middle ground between Hellraiser and Hocus Pocus. Right. If you're too scared for some Hmm. for Hellraiser, but you want some more action than Hocus Pocus. This might be a good film for you. Yeah,
0: it's like an action movie in a horror world.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yes. And the material that this movie is based off of has horror elements in it. So it works really well. Austin, what movie are we going to be talking about this week? This week, we'll
0: be talking about 2005's Constantine, directed by Francis Lawrence, starring Keanu Reeves and Rachel Weisz, Shia LaBeouf, Tilda Swinton's in it, and Peter Stormare. And also, uh, Jimon Hansu, and Bush frontman Gavin Rossdale.
1: Wow, that that's a cast, man. That is an A-list cast. I and you know what? It stars the man that everybody loves, Keanu Reeves. I don't think there's a single person who can active who has actively said that they hate Keanu. Maybe they might not like some of his movies or his acting. But he seems like a really cool guy.
0: Yeah, he seems very wholesome compared to some of the other people on this uh, list. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. I remember watching this movie back when I was a kid, and I really loved it back then. Um, I thought it was just edgy enough, you know, to film <laughs> like my middle grade, like heart. But mm-hmm. it wasn't like Hellraiser edgy where I would have nightmares and stuff. But That's funny. My dad bought this movie, and, you know, it was one of those things where... Because growing up, there had there were some movies that traumatized me. And so my dad had to be a bit more cautious as to what I was watching, right? Like, mm-hmm. RoboCop was one that just traumatized me deeply. <laughs> I had to sleep. My dad had to sleep with <laughs> me. Like, he, he had to sleep in the same bed for, like, mm-hmm. days because RoboCop fucked me up so bad. So
0: criminals didn't come in and shotgun you to to meat pieces
1: yeah it it messed me up Uh, so he was a bit more cautious and I remember this was a movie that him and my mom were watching that he was like you can't watch uh but I eventually did and I was like okay this is this is pretty good I watched it a maybe five six seven years ago and I was like okay this is it's not as cool as I originally remember but I still really enjoyed it or I enjoyed it. Not really enjoyed it. I thought it had some shortcomings. Mostly I remember it being kind of boring. Um, mm. I, As a kid I thought, oh man, this, there's so much action. It's so cool. And kind of being a bit older, I was like, oh, it's actually not that action packed. In fact, it's kind of boring.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the the world that Constantine comes from, the like Hellblazer uh, comic, and the world that I think... I think Constantine actually appeared in the Sandman comic first, and then he got his own spinoff. But that whole world was is interesting to me, um, and that that is what I like about the movie. Um, however, when I when this movie came out, you know, we were I was still not allowed to watch R rated movies, so how I experienced Constantine was a demo of the Xbox game. Where you could play as Constantine and like you run around with a shotgun with a cross on it. And I'm like, whoa, this is this is interesting. I want to see this movie eventually.
1: And I never did. Oh, so you so you've never seen this movie.
0: I did see it later on because I saw some it was like a. a Halloween bar or something, and I saw like Gavin Rossdale on the screen and he, I'm like, oh, is this a Bush music video? Wait a minute wait, what's going on with him? And I was that's when I was like, okay, I need to watch this movie because I didn't know Gavin Rossdale was in it. Um, and then I watched the movie and I was a little disappointed, mm-hmm. I guess. But there was some stuff that I
1: liked. There's definitely a lot to like about the movie. Uh, like, again, it's got a great cast. Keanu Reeves, you know, this is a few years after The Matrix. Um, so he was mm-hmm. still like at the peak of his career. Or you could argue that well, I, yeah, you could say he's had two peaks, but this was around the time he was popular. Rachel Wise, who I absolutely adore, is in this movie. She's great. And I loved her in the original two mummy films. I've actually refused to watch the third one because she's not in yeah. it. So I'm like, I, fuck that.
0: I don't even know why they would make a third one without her. The chemistry that her and Brandon Frazier had, like, come
1: on. You can't have one without the other. I love Brennan, but he could not carry that franchise alone. Uh, so I thought that was horseshit. So you got Rachel Weisz in there. Um, and I really loved like the premise of someone like they're being demons because I as a kid as, and as an as adult, too, I love the concept of angels and demons. Now, as a kid, it freaked me out when you had a hard take on it, like the exorcist or like the exorcism of Emily Rose. That really scared me because I was raised Catholic. So I I definitely very much believed in that. And still kind of do, I guess. I don't know. There's some freaky shit that I'm like. Demons. Yeah, that's not, you, you know. <laughs> I don't need the answer <laughs> okay. to that. But, All right. But, but a, it
0: doesn't bother you when you watch the movies. Like as an adult now.
1: No, no, no. It but, does, no, no, no. It doesn't. And, in fact. But I as think,
0: a kid, it did.
1: Yes, I had. I see. As an, I, I, The exorcism of Emily Rose messed me up a lot. I think as a kid, when I was still curious about. Or still thinking about Catholicism. From that angle i was very like what's real and what isn't you know and i think mm-hmm. um not to say that catholicism isn't real or i, I don't I'm, I'm very much ambiguous about that i don't not even purposely like i just don't know where i stand and all that but as a kid i was this stuff really scared me because i definitely imagined that there was a demon watching me as i was falling asleep constantine kind of took some of the edge off that, and it made it watchable and entertaining as a child. I loved Keanu Reeves. I loved Rachel Wise. I loved the poster of Keanu's silhouette with demons in the background. And I remember the tagline, and I have it in front of me, but I I remembered it as... I loved it as a kid, and it's... Hell wants him, heaven won't take him, earth needs him. And I was like, that is so cool, (laughs) because that already sets up, like, a bunch of questions. And that... If you could hook me with an interesting question... You're doing your job right. Like, that needs to be the question. Why? It's not what is happening. It's why is this happening? Why does hell want him? Why won't heaven take him? Because when you ask what, that just means you don't have an understanding of the story. Right? But as a kid, I was like, ooh, Mm -hmm. there's demons, there's hell and heaven, and there's Keanu Reeves in the middle. All right. I want to see that.
0: Nice. Man, I, I also remember the music the music videos for this song because i was really into a perfect circle mm. uh, and i know that there was like a music video they did for two i think two other songs i think one of their songs appears in the movie so i don't know it, it, there's just like stuff around the movie that i really liked but there was something about the movie that i'm like why isn't this hitting as hard as it should but i know people do love this movie uh my girlfriend loves this movie So even though I might not like love it as much as others, we're still going to find some cool stuff to talk about it and maybe try to get into why we didn't love it as much as everybody else. But like, you know, how we always do it. We're going to be we don't come from it from a perspective of making fun of it. No, you know,
1: no, no. Even if we don't even if we don't like it or if we don't agree, we don't want to shame anyone for liking these things. It's yeah. Yeah. I I mean, again, I i i i completely understand that
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll be we'll be clinical about it you know casually clinical <laughs>
1: yeah but we also don't want to like uh take away anyone's enjoyment of it if if you get enjoyment out of this movie then great i don't want to take that away I'll, all we want to do is just talk about it and maybe yes maybe we'll appreciate it more because of it i man there have been so many movies that we have watched on, that i have watched on this podcast Having a certain feeling about it, but then talking to you, Austin, has made me appreciate it a lot more. White Man Can't Jump was definitely one. A Little Shop of Horrors, definitely another one. Like, it definitely happened. So I'm curious to see what we think of this one. So,
0: let's go to 2005 at the box office. Let's check on the domestic box office for 2005. Number one. With $380 million is... Star Wars Episode 3... Revenge of the Sith. Ooh. Number 2... Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Number 3... War of the Worlds. Uh, number 4... The Chronicles of Narnia. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Number 5... Wedding Crashers. 6... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. 7... Batman Begins. Number 8... Madagascar. Nine, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oof. Uh, Number 10, Hitch. Uh, And also coming out this year, King Kong. uh, Meet the Fockers. Million Dollar Baby. Walk the Line. The Aviator. And The Exorcism of Emily Rose.
1: Oh, fuck that movie. I mean, it's good, but fuck (laughs) that movie. (laughs) Okay. Have we done other movies from this year, Awesome.
0: Um, I don't think we did. Did we? We have. We have.
1: We've done. multiple was it. Movies. Oh
0: shoot! Yeah. Was okay. Was one of them? Um, Children of Men.
1: No, it was not. That was two thousand six.
0: Damn. All right, I give up. What? What were they?
1: All right. So gonna go uh, from descent or descending upwards. One of the first movies that we did that we covered in two thousand five was Munich. Munich. That was our first Steven Spielberg film.
0: That's right, because he did Munich and World of the Worlds. They came out in the
1: same year. Yep. Uh, we also did an episode on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Now that movie obviously didn't come out. We didn't, we covered the original one, but we did make a second episode to talk about comparing it to the 2005 Tim Burton version.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's like a technicality, sort of.
0: But I didn't remember the first one either. So
1: yeah. I failed. Yeah. Uh, we also did another one from 2005, the Grace Lee Project.
0: Oh, that was in 2005.
1: That was 2005. Yeah, yeah. That was Damn. a that was a choice that was submitted by one of our listeners, Penny, and we were really excited about that one. That was a great movie. That was that was a great doc. You talk about learning something that you that you could never imagine being like a real thing. It's so much more than just it being a coincidence. It's a it's a great doc. I recommend it. You you won't be able to find it in most streaming services. I think you'd have to Google it. But I think it's definitely worth watching. It's called The Grace Lee Project. Um there was another film we did in two thousand five, a horror film. Oh, The Descent. Yep, yep, you remember the descent.
0: Damn. Hey, you said a horror film, and I was like, We haven't done too many of those.
1: wasn't Hellraiser. Wasn't in, wasn't in Candy Man. <laughs> It was the descent, which is one of my favorite horror films. That was uh that's a brilliant movie. And that's a great episode too. Go check that out.
0: Oh yeah. All of our episodes are really good.
1: No, I'll say this, man. I, we I don't think we've missed. I think our episodes have been pretty tight. But yeah, so we have done 2005. 2005 was a great year for movies. I mean, we were finishing the prequel series of Star Wars. We were halfway through Harry Potter.
0: A lot of Franchises and sequels, remakes and stuff. Yes, in, two, in the two thousands onwards.
1: Yeah, it only it's only gotten bigger when it comes to franchises. um But I imagine that the studio behind Constantine wanted to make this a franchise. I think it's Warner Brothers who released it. I imagine they wanted to make this a franchise, but they couldn't, or maybe it wasn't financially viable, or maybe it wasn't they didn't make enough money. I'm curious. Because as we know, recently, the movie has been kind of, uh, there have been talks about a sequel. Keanu and Francis Lauren are attached to come back. Now, it hasn't been given the green light yet. That means green light. Wait, wait, no Rachel Wise. I'm not sure. We don't know. We don't know. All that's been reported on the movie is that Warner Brothers has said, okay, you can work on this. Now, we're not green lighting it. Like, it's not like we're going to give this an official date an official budget. It's just saying that Francis Lawrence and Keanu Reeves are working on a script right now, right? They're they're going to hire writers. They're going to see what they could do with it. But Warner Brothers is saying, okay, you can work on this. We don't know if it's going to go through. For all we know, Rachel Weisz could come back. Really curious to see why this didn't kick off. I imagine it just wasn't the financial hit that they wanted it to be. Could be other things hmm. though it it did
0: place pretty high on the highest grossing movies of the yeah of the year.
1: Keanu's was a very bankable star, so why didn't it, you know? It seems to have a cult following. It, so, let's look at the Rotten Tomatoes real quick. So the movie has a 46% rating with critics, which just means half the critics liked it, half didn't. There's probably an overlap of people who thought it was okay, not great, but not terrible. And it's got a 72% with audience with audiences so you know i all i'm thinking all i know is that studios will not shy away from making a sequel if the first one is not critically well received
0: yeah there's like what three uh suicide squad movies pretty much
1: yeah so i'm i'm personally curious moving into the second part that's actually something that i'm really curious about why didn't they get the sequel what held it back and why are we getting one now i mean Keanu is a pretty big... He's still a big star. I mean, the John Wick film. He was in Toy Story 4. Uh, he came back for The Matrix Resurrection. Like, we are in a Keanu-sons. So...
0: Another one. That's the third coming of our, of our Lord and Savior, Keanu Reeves.
1: Exactly. So, I imagine, I imagine that Warner Brothers wants to capitalize on it. But why not back then? Why not back in 2005? Not really sure. Uh, and I'm curious to just see how this held up. Like, you know, I loved it as a kid. I thought it was okay as an adult. What do I think of it now as an old man?
0: Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see why do people like this movie Um, and try to like um, figure out why, what my problems are with it and uh, articulate them in a non-hostile way. And I'm also curious about the special effects of this movie. Like, were they really good for the time? Do they still hold up? Because I remember seeing the Gavin Rossdale thing, I was like, "Whoa, that's really cool." Um, Yeah, that's what I'm curious about. Uh, A little curious about the differences between the portrayal of John Constantine. I was going to say that from his comic origins and the the movie. I did see the the TV series Constantine from like 2014, 15, or something. With that portrayal is more closer to the comic book. The Keanu version is different, and I want to see if that annoyed people or or what. Um, I I
1: bet it did because John Constantine from I've never read the comics, but I do know a little bit about his live action iterations. And he is British, like he's got an English accent and everything that they've done. When Constantine had his own show, uh, people loved that actor you know he
0: yeah he was he was really he good. was really
1: good and he made an appearance on like the uh, arrow first the cw dc shows mm-hmm. so the so john constantine was on his own show that show gets canceled uh but because john constantine is a dc character he made a cameo on arrow the flash on like in that crossover and i i remember that being a big deal for people because the actor was beloved you know? Mm-hmm. So, I really want to see what the reception was to for Keanu Reeves because while I didn't know about it, and I saw Keanu on the poster, I was like, yeah, that's cool. What about someone who actually grew up with the comics of John Constantine and being like, Keanu is in English. Like, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, I'm, I'm curious to see what that reaction was like. Maybe it was so bad, the reaction towards Keanu being John Constantine, that maybe that's why they didn't they, they didn't make a sequel. I mean... We've, we've seen this. This is still an issue today. But when you've got fictional characters that get changed in some way for some creative liberties, some people will lose their goddamn minds.
0: Yeah. And sometimes it's a little much. Yes. Like, come on. Now, I don't. Relax.
1: Now, I don't think we're talking about a black little mermaid here. Like, in terms of, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, like, disconnect. I don't think there are... I don't think people got mad at Keanu as much as they did with uh, this new Little Mermaid that's about to come out. <laughs> I don't think right. it's the same. Keanu is still white. Yes. M- mostly. <laughs> <laughs> but I am curious to see if there was some backlash to that.
0: Sometimes it's like, you know, he's he's Ameri- he's Keanu Reeves. He's a star. Let's put him in, in the movie. Um, and then there's like, okay, he's a star. Let's put him in the movie. But he, let's make him... Let's make him do the accent. Let's dye his hair blonde. Let's make him look like the comics. I'm like, I feel like if they would have done that, the movie would have been worse. Because I feel like he struggles with accents. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit later when we do uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula.
1: Yes. So this is actually like like an accidental first part kind of not first part, but like we're doing one Keanu Reeves films now. And then we're going to come back to him in Bram Stoker's Dracula. And I have heard, I've never seen Bram Stoker's Dracula, but I have heard that his accent is fucking terrible. Maybe that's why. Yeah. For this film, they said, don't do the accent.
0: You know, there are actors that can't play these different characters, but they do. Sometimes you just have to like do what works best for you. Um, and if you're, If you're like trying to stick to like, no, this has to be this way because this is the way it is in the the book or this is the way it is in the comic book. It's like, well, we have Keanu Reeves. Let's do what works for him and not change him so that the reason we like him is non-existent. You know what I mean?
1: Well, that's something interesting about creative differences is sometimes you're going to have to justify. Most of the time, you're not going to be able to get everything right and you're going to have to compromise. Now, where where you make those compromises can be the difference between having something that is respected and something that's vilified, right? And, mm-hmm. I mean, we we as a culture are still trying to figure out what changes are acceptable because, for example, Little Mermaid, Little White Redhead Mermaid being being changed to Black, to Black Mermaid, some people are fine with it. Some and people, some
0: people are racist.
1: Well, yes, yes, that that's the case. But then also you have something like uh, Ghost in a Shell, Uh, where you have you have an android that's being portrayed by scarlett johansson where the story takes place in japan um i I believe some people don't like that it was changed some people don't like that that changed went down Mm -hmm. but then you also have speed racer that was based off of like elvis you know that that character was based on like elvis and evil kenevo who's portrayed by a white person in a movie but some people don't like that we're we're still trying to figure this out it's not a clean-cut answer. So it's really interesting to see these creative differences. Some hold up, some don't. Mm-hmm. We'll see with this one, you know? Um, Even
0: in our Hell Hellraiser episode, like, that was set in, in London, but to get it to come out, to get it more money, they had to change it to its location, to America, and they had to redub some of the actors to have American accents.
1: It, it was a weird thing that both of us noted. We were like, why yeah. does this character sound weird? Why is their audio almost boosted like, you know like why is their audio boosted up you know it, it just doesn't feel 100% in sync and then we were also thinking like what city are we in this doesn't make any sense it's
0: it's, it's uh, Julia's home turf but she's British and everybody else has American there's a accent. guy That's with like, like a
1: basketball <laughs> team's hat like you know it's like wait what? what's happening What? what is this why are we <laughs> so yeah some of these changes can be really alienating alienating and other times it doesn't matter So, yeah. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. All we could do is watch the film and take a case by case scenario. But I'm curious to see if this was an issue. And if so, how Keanu does in the role of John Constantine.
0: Well, I believe that is all we have for right now. If you have HBO Max, you can watch this movie on streaming because it's streaming there because it's a Warner Brothers thing and they're all their. uh, dc stuff coming out they're still making movies
1: well so. bro wait, man everybody on this everyone who listens to this podcast has hbo max you want to know why you don't know House that of the dragon is out and that's all i haven't even watched it well you're you're you man i you, but you have hbo max i know you do i have it <laughs> I, I i want to watch it but i just i don't have the time no 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 which totally viable i get that time is something that we all need more of but <laughs> yeah house of the dragon everybody's talking about that show so give this movie a watch you know
0: all right well we will see you in one minute
1: may i take your coat mr constantine no thanks i'm not gonna be staying long how about you ma'am oh no i'm not staying long either I really need to speak with him, it's very important. First come,
0: first served. Oh, so you're rude no matter where you are. Hello everybody, welcome back. We have just finished watching Constantine from 2005 directed by Francis Lawrence. This was his directorial debut.
1: Yeah, he had gone on to uh like he was doing a bunch of music videos, but this was kind of his first feature length film and you know, he would go on to direct like I Am Legend and finish off the uh Hunger Game film. The I think he directed the 3rd, the 2nd, 3rd and 4th one. Yeah. The 2nd one being considered like the best one. Huh. He's directed some 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 really cool films and it was nice revisiting this film. It really was cuz it Yeah. I've seen this film, like, maybe four times, three times. It's -hmm. a strange movie because I have fond memories of it. Like, I remember a lot of the scenes in this movie, but I never really fell in love with it. Having seen it again and having done some research, I'm like, okay, I like it. I don't think it's perfect, and I think there are some things that I still wanted from the film that it never gave me. I don't think the film has any inherent problems. And what I mean by that is, like, sometimes you could go to a movie and it's like, okay, this thing right here is holding it back from being better.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: I could kind of see a few things that could be improved here, but I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with it. Like, there's nothing that I'm like, okay, this is an issue that is preventing the movie from being amazing. I don't think that's the case. I just think it's one of those cases where it's like, some things could have been better, but how to exactly fix them, I'm not totally aware of. And I still appreciate a lot of what they do. Because you look at some of the some of the things that they do with the story, and it's like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I like how you paid this off. I like what's happened thematically. And a lot of the presentation is still really cool. Um, it does exist in this realm of Hollywood films that doesn't act like a Hollywood film. It acts like something different. And I think that's probably one of the reasons it caught people off guard. That they were expecting this other type of film. When in reality, they got this. And it's like, oh, this is very different. We'll talk about mm-hmm. that when we get into the review part. But w- w- what are your thoughts on the film?
0: Well, I went from really being curious about the movie. Uh, from Like before I watched it. Then I watched it that first time. Then I was like, hmm, I don't like this that much. And then going into it this time, I was like, all right, why don't I like this very much? And in my second viewing, I found exactly why I don't like the movie and all the things that I do like about it. I do like it more than I did before, having identified what my
1: problems were with the movie. I am really curious to get into that. I want to hear what you have to say, because I have some I have issues I wouldn't say they're problems, but I definitely want to see what you're cluing in on that I'm either Mm -hmm. aware of and choosing to forgive or did not notice until you brought it up, until you bring it up. So, all right, this is going to be interesting. Would you recommend this film?
0: I do think this movie uh, works on people who like the early 2000s, mid-2000s, like, scene scene. You know, like, like, uh, if you like to go to a hot topic and stuff, like, I feel like that, that aesthetic is, is like the target audience for that, for this movie. Yes. Uh, and I do like that. I do like those vibes. You know, it kind of reminds me of the matrix a little bit. It kind of reminds me of blade. And if you like movies like that, you know, it's a good, it's fine. It's a good time. Okay. Plus I- you get to, you get mm-hmm. context for the episode you're about to hear
1: which is probably why you're here (laughs) exactly um i would recommend it i would just say don't go in expecting van helsing like the hugh jackman one right because or don't go in expecting the matrix right it's like it but it's not it's within the
0: same wheelhouse but the matrix is like you know one of the best movies ever made
1: (laughs) yes well the the thing about the matrix is i mean the matrix is yeah you're nearly perfect But it's got a lot of kung fu. Van Helsing has a lot of goofy action. This movie does not have much of that. And it doesn't have a lot of the adrenaline pumping scenes of those films. It's a lot more of a detective film. So go in kind of expecting more of like a Casablanca. uh, I don't know about Casablanca, but more of a noir film, right? Like Kiss Me Deadly. Like those old Noir films where it's like a detective trying to piece together the puzzle and like they're meeting all these different characters, but there's there's maybe a few moments of action, but they are not the highlights or they they might be um but don't expect because this movie's like two hours long. Yeah, there's probably roughly like maybe fifteen minutes of action, even less than that that fifteen is being generous Now I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Just don't go in expecting full frontal action. Right. Go watch Van Helsing. Go watch The Matrix. But if you want something that's a bit slower, with more intrigue, a lot of world building, you like the heaven and hell dichotomy and those themes and that story, give this a shot. It's on HBO Max. I think it's worth it. And I think if you're not convinced yet, we're going to talk about it. And I think there is a lot to get into with the movie that I think a lot of people underappreciated when it first came out.
0: Well, with that... <clears throat> you can watch it like, as we said on hbo max but this is the part of the episode where we try to summarize the movie so that if you're driving if you're doing stuff you can't really watch the movie if you've seen it and you're like wait what happened in the movie this is for you the movie is about john constantine who is a chain smoker but he's also he can see things like he can see paranormal stuff and In the comics, he's like a sorcerer, but I don't think he's much of a sorcerer in this movie, but he does have like some kind of magic abilities. Like he, he can do stuff that normal people can't. It starts in Mexico and there's this, actually before that, there is a title card that says whoever controls the Spear of Destiny can change the fate of the world. And the Spear of Destiny has been lost after World War II. So then you go to Mexico and you see these guys digging around and then one of them finds a spear tip like wrapped in a Nazi flag and then starts walking off. And then his friend's like, hey dude, where are you going? And then a car smashes into the guy walking off with a spear. But the guy is like untouched. The car is like wrapped around him. But like nothing can move this man from his mission. And he just keeps walking on. And then we go to Los Angeles and we have... Constantine ex like do an exorcism on a demon um, but there's something weird with this demon it's like he's trying to to take form in the mortal world and in this movie the demons exist in hell and they can play around with humans but they can't like form themselves outside of the they can't materialize outside into in on earth so he's like hmm, something's weird about this and he talks to his priest friend um whose name is hennessy hennessy that's right hennessy and hennessy also has some kind of powers he can he can communicate with the dead or, or something he has some kind of psychic powers but he's also an alcoholic and he wears this charm to like prevent the voices from coming to him but Constantine is kind of an asshole. He's like, come on, do it for me. And he takes off his, his protection things Like, go, tell me what you find. Uh, and then he has his like sidekick. Who's kind of like his driver slash apprentice, uh, Chaz Kramer, who's played by Shia LaBeouf and Chaz is like, come on, coach, put me on the team. And then Constantine just kind of ignores him. Uh, that's their relationship. Rachel Weiss plays Angela. But she also plays her twin sister Isabel. We see a woman in a hospital like run away from something and then jump off the roof and crash through a into a pool and die, commit suicide. And then it's Rachel Weiss, and then she wakes up, so it's like, oh, was she having a dream? Turns out she's a cop and she just had some kind of vision of her sister's death. She thinks that her sister would never have committed suicide because she was a devout Catholic. And that's like a big no-no in the Catholic religion. So she's like, there's no way she committed suicide. But everyone's like, no, she committed suicide. Constantine finds out that he has lung cancer. And he's like, God damn it. I'm going to die. And my soul is damned because of something that happened in my past. Uh, So I... If I die, I'm going to go to hell, and I'm going to be tormented forever. So he goes to meet with his, like, contact, his angel contact, Gabriel. He's played by Tilda Swinton. And she's like, yeah, uh, you're fucked. You're, you're going to hell.
1: That's a literal quote. You're <laughs> fucked. You are going to die young because you smoked 30 cigarettes a day since you were 15.
0: And you're going to go to hell. Because of the life you
1: took, you're fucked.
0: Angela, she meets Constantine here, and he's just kind of rude to her. He meets her in an elevator, and he's rude to her there, too. And then she's like, damn, this Constantine guy is an asshole. But then, as she's like researching her sister's death, she gets the name Constantine. Like, her sister's kind of trying to contact her from the afterlife or something. Not really explained. She's like, okay, I need to go talk to Constantine. She goes over to him and then she tells him all about her sister. And then Constantine makes some like really, uh, cr- crude remarks. He's like, your, your sister killed herself. She's a, what kind of mental patient kills herself? That sounds crazy. You know, he's, he's not a good person. He's an maybe, asshole. Maybe that's why he's going to hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but She's like, oh, this guy's pointless. And she walks away from him. And then there's like these demon things that are flying around. And Constantine chases her. And he kind of explains the the situation of heaven and hell and earth. He says, all right, so the demons, they can't cross over, but they can influence people. Angels can can influence us too. And it's kind of like a proxy war. And she's like, "That's that sounds crazy. And then these demons... It's so funny because it directly contradicts what he said. Because the demons are actually physical. They're flying around. He does like this pyromancy trick and he burns them all away. And then she's like, oh, this is crazy. There's demons and angels and stuff. The devil is real. Um, and I think at that point, he finds out his friend is dead. The guy that he took the protection charm off. Hennessy. And- Hennessy. I keep forgetting his name, and it's such an easy name to remember. It's
1: an easy name.
0: (laughs) And he's like, damn, my friend is dead. And he has another friend, Beeman, who's, like, really into bugs. He's also, like, his arcane weapons dealer. He, like, gives him, like, dragon's breath. He gives him, like, these bee things that will, like, break demons apart, or that'll annoy demons and get them to expose themselves, I guess. Like, little holy hand grenades. Not really hand grenades, they're just, like, Glasses filled with the water from Jordan or something like holy relics that he can use to like fight the half-breed demons or whatever. Uh, There's this bar owned by Papa Midnight, who is played by Jimon Hansu. He's kind of like it's like a neutral ground where the half angels and half demons will like hang out because Papa Midnight upholds like neutrality. He goes there for more information, but he can't tell him anything because he's neutral. There's a lot of like looking for clues, but it doesn't really matter. Eventually, B-Man is killed to trying to help him by looking up a verse in the uh, the hell Bible or something. He, Constantine goes to hell to try to see if um, Isabel is there, because if she's there, that means she did commit suicide. Um, and then he goes to hell and he sees her there. And then she's like, well, she did commit suicide, but I don't know what to tell you. Something weird is happening. The, the demons are coming into our world. He finds out that there's this other demon that has been killing his friends, Balthazar, played by Gavin Gavin Rossdale. So he's like, all right, Gavin Rossdale is killing my friends. I'm going to go kill him. And then Angel's like, what about the... The neutrality and he's like no he tipped the skills when he started killing my friends so he goes over there and confronts him with this holy shotgun that he's constructed and he's like what's happening why is what's happening with the demons and he's like I'm not telling you anything he's like fine I'm gonna I'm gonna forgive you your your sins so that when you die you go to heaven and then Balthazar's like oh I don't want to go to heaven I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you what's happening we're trying to bring back this we're trying to get the devil's son to cross over from hell and unleash hell on earth. Then he's like, Oh, by the way, you need to ask for forgiveness. And then he kills him. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, he's walking. He lets him go. He he blows his head off.
1: Oh, that's no, that you're, you're right. Okay. I thought, Oh no, he doesn't kill him. He just disintegrates his body. But remember, so he's still
0: kind of alive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is.
0: (laughs) Um, So he walks away with Angela and he kind of explains it to her, what's happening. And then he gave her uh, Hennessy's protection amulet, but she like left it in the car or something. And he's like, wait a minute, where's the protection amulet? And she gets like snatched by an invisible being. She's like going through walls and shit. And he's trying to follow her, but she starts floating away. And He's like, damn. Uh, So he goes back. To Papa Midnight, and he's like, "Screws the new, the oath of neutrality. I need to use the chair," and he uses the chair, and he gets like these visions. He sees the guy in Mexico carry the the spear of destiny, and then he's like, "Oh, they're gonna meet up in the hospital, and there's a bunch of half breed demons there. I gotta go to the hospital." So him and Chaz, they like suit up for war. Uh, Chaz knows all the rights to do the exorcisms. So he's, like, he has the knowledge. This is, like, his first day on the job. They, uh, they go to the, the hospital. He has Chaz put, like, this uh, holy relic into the water supply, like the fire sprinklers, um, so that when John Constantine lights the fire, lights, takes a, his, like, trademark lighter to the, the sprinkler, now all of the half-breed demons are, like, covered with holy water. and makes them weak. And he like shoots them all with his holy shotgun, sends them back to hell. And then he goes in to find, um, Angela, but now Angela is kind of possessed by Manon, who is the son of Satan, the guy, the, the big bad. And he uses, he's like struggling with his exorcism and, uh, Chaz is there to help him. They enchant Latin and then they seemingly get rid of the, the possession and they're like, ah, we did it. Good job, Chaz. And then suddenly Chaz is like grabbed by an invisible being and he's he's like slammed around the, the the pool and he's like he dies. And then Constantine's like, God damn it. Show yourself. And he uses like these tattoos and shit and he's like reveals things that are hidden. And it's Gabriel. Gabriel comes out and she like puts his puts her foot on his face and she's like this was my plan all along. Humans don't deserve God's love. But after I free Manon and you humans fight it off, they will be worthy of God's love. I guess that's that's Gabriel's plan. Not really sure what the logic is there, but that's what she says. Um, and then she throws Constantine's body away and then she's about to stab... Uh, and Angela with the Spear of destiny to like free Manon. But when you die in this world, when you're about to cross over to the other side, time freezes. And because Constantine has such a horrible reputation with Satan, because he keeps deporting all of his like demons back to hell. Uh, Constantine slits his wrists and time stops and the devil appears. And he's played by Peter Stormare. And Constantine calls him Lou, short for Lucifer. And he's like, Lou, your son is trying to come to Earth. And then Lucifer is like, what? That brat. So he goes over and he takes Manon back to hell. And Gabriel tries to kill Lucifer, but she's lost the favor of God. So she loses her wings and then she's reduced to humanity. And then Lucifer goes to Constantine and he's like, what do you want? Do you want an extension? And he's like, no, I want the sister to go to heaven. And he's like, okay, fine. Now you're coming with me to hell. But God has, I guess, forgiven Constantine for his sins. And he's going to take him to heaven. And the devil's like, no, he's mine. I'll tell you what, I'm going to cure his cancer. And I'm going to heal his wrists and bring him back to life so that he has to, he can earn his way back to hell. And then that happens. He, he like is normal, goes to Angela and he's like, all right, uh, here's a gift. And he gives her the Spear of Destiny to hide from him. And that's kind of the end of the movie.
1: All right. So what are some of the issues that you're having with the film?
0: My my issue is the first half. I think the first half of the movie, you're seeing a lot of information that's kind of re- repetitive Uh, Like there's this whole thing with his friend that who's investigating the the ether or
1: the oh Hennessy. Yeah, Hennessy. Yeah. So the thing about Hennessy is that he he has like John's abilities. And so he's able to listen to the dead. And so John tells tasks him with listening to the dead to see to figure out what's happening. Like something's odd. Right. These demons are trying to come in. Everyone's pretending like it's normal, but it's not. I, I have a sense. So I need you to tap into the ether and listen. I need you to stop drinking alcohol because it's alluded that Hennessy has trouble, like, almost has, like, PTSD from listening to all these people dead right. and dying and stuff. So he, he stops drinking. He removes his protection, the the emblem, or what is it? The necklace? It has
0: a name, I'm sure, but I don't remember what it is.
1: So Hennessy starts listening to trying to figure out what is happening. And he find he, like... He hears about he hears about um what's the sister's name Isabel Isabel's Isabel. death uh because at this point John and and Angela don't really have too much of a connection but hennessy hears about it he hears about Isabel's death he goes to visit to the mortuary to see her body and he sees the uh the scar on her arm that's like the symbol the you know that like the spear of destiny Or, like, that's, like, the symbol of Maman or, like, the symbol of Satan. Something bad's happening with that symbol. And that's where he starts freaking out. Yeah,
0: I I just, I feel like it, the way it's done, it's like, okay, she's, he doesn't ever contact Kennedy again. He just kind of carves the symbol into his wrist, which is Mm -hmm. the same symbol that he saw at the first exorcism. Mm -hmm. So, I I feel like there is, an there's, like, a a kind, I see, like, the detective kind of, um architecture of the story, but I don't think that that there's like a, this clue leads to this clue leads to this thing. You know what I mean?
1: Hmm. Okay, interesting.
0: Like, if, if Hennessy would have told Constantine about Isabel, then he would then seek out Angela. But he kind of seeks out Angela anyway because she came to him and then the demons are following her. So he's like, oh, there's something special about Angela. So it's almost like his... His thing doesn't his investigation doesn't really matter?
1: No, it does. Because Hennessy in the liquor store, remember he grabs like that bottle, that wine opener, that cork opener, mm-hmm. and he pries the symbol into his hand. And that's when he uses the that's when he finds out the spear of destiny is involved.
0: But Constantine sees that in the very beginning of the movie.
1: Does he see it in the beginning?
0: Yeah, there's a drawing of it from the possessed girl.
1: That hand gesture led to something.
0: Because then he calls the b Man, and he describes a symbol with him. And the b Man looks looks up the symbol, mm-hmm. but he also they also find the the clue in um, Isabel's room, right?
1: Well they they find the they find the section in Corinthians,
0: right? Yeah, because because there's like a there's like a secret message between the twins, they used to, like, leave messages to each other by, like, blowing breath on the windows and stuff. And then there's, like, oh, there's no 17th book of Corinthians. And then Constantine's, like, well, there is no Bible from hell.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's how they kind of figure out the plan of using the Spear of Destiny. And that kind of leads, that leads John to using the chair to find, to look at the Spear of Destiny.
0: Yeah. It's it's just, like, a lot of the... A lot of different clues lead to the same place. So why do we need all these different clues? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like the, the the very, like the first half of the movie, I think has a really bad pacing issue. Okay. Like it's, it's really dull. I, I like the characters, but the movie really gets going when Constantine and Angela are like working together. Mm-hmm. I like how Constantine, like the reason his soul is damned, is because he tried to commit suicide, and he mm-hmm. tried to commit suicide because he could see all the demons and he could see all the angels. He could see things nobody else could see, so his family thought he was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: this is when he's young, by the way. This is when he's young.
0: And now he he meets Angela, who had a twin. And her twin could see all of these crazy things. And she, her family had her committed. But Angela could see them too. But she survived because she said that she couldn't see them. So she had like a relatively normal life. By kind of leaving her sister out to dry. Like I feel like that's that's an interesting like connection that they have. Yeah. And I like that part of it. But all the stuff before that with like the investigation i like i like the exorcism because it kind of shows you who john constantine is Mm -hmm. um but there's a lot of like like the guy with the spear in mexico i i don't see the point of all that
1: i do agree with you to a certain extent i wouldn't say it's a problem but well it's it's an issue i think it's something that i have something i have against the film is it's two hours long okay uh, and I think it does a lot of good things. But it does have a slower momentum. And in trying to recall specific events, because this is a detective story. One clue leads to the other, leads to the other. Trying to figure out, like, or trying to remember what happens in the middle could be a little murky. Do you know what I mean? It could, it, Like, some of the scenes don't seem as significant. And it does drag out a little bit. Because you do have that scene in Mexico, which is a great opening opening scene, by the way. Like you see this guy, just regular. He finds this thing that's wrapped up in a Nazi flag or Nazi handkerchief or whatever. It's not a handkerchief. It's a flag. <laughs> it's a flag. I, well, it's kind of. It, it was kind of small. It wasn't like a big flag. I, that's why I was thinking handkerchief. But it's a flag. Like a, okay,
0: a travel size flag.
1: <laughs> yeah, travel size flag. <laughs> so it's this. Uh, it's this spear that's like wrapped up in a Nazi flag already red flags and Mm -hmm. he starts hearing voices and then he gets hit by a car and he's just like it's nothing that's a great opening because you're already you already know that this thing is not good (laughs) potentially demonic given you know the nature of the film uh and the fact that this guy did not die and now where he's where's he running to you know but and they kind of just go back to it. But I do feel like some of the middle just does feel a little bit murky. Like, even trying to justify it. Like, no, something did happen in that liquor store scene. Even I'm like, wait, but what did that lead to? That led to the scene with B-Man, where he's at the bowling alley. But that's right. They do find the Corinthian 17 marking in the window. Yeah. So it's like, wait. So, so it's like, wait. Did both those things lead to the... Like, maybe one kind of... one. One of those objects, like one of those clues leads to something specific and the other one leads to something else. But I can't remember. And that is kind of something that I do have against the film is that. I feel like maybe it could have been a little bit tighter or maybe some more and some more time could have been spent elsewhere. Yes. Um, rather than some of these clues that in hindsight maybe don't contribute as much because because one of the things I do have is I love this cast. This cast is amazing.
0: Yes. That is one thing that I really really like. I like the characters and how they they play them. Like there yeah. we can get into like the differences between how they are in the comics and how they are in this movie. But as for this movie, I like all the characters and how the cast plays them.
1: I think that's a good distinction to make how they're played, right? Because there are key decisions, right? you've got some of your more typical ones kind of Keanu is channeling a bit more of that Zenness that he brings, you know, he's not, he's an asshole, but he's still kind of the Zen guy from like the matrix films. Um, You've got Shia LaBeouf playing like the wise, cracking, wise, cracking sidekick. But then you've also got Tilda Swinton as Gabriel, who's playing Gabriel very and as like very androgynously. Yeah. And like with, You know, Tilda kind of brings this energy where it's like, I could kill you, but I'm also being really polite. (laughs) And, oh my God, don't even, we can't even talk about the cast without bringing up Peter Stormare, who's like a great devil. Oh, yeah. Because I read a description as to what they were going to have him be like in like a leather jacket tattooed on his chest and stuff like that and Hell no. peter stormer kind of took over and i was like no this is kind of what i want to this is kind of what i want to do you know Tara on his feet and like with that white suit and i'm like it works so, so good. well and it's it's funny too because it's like the devil doesn't need to be angry he's the fucking devil yeah. <laughs> there's no reason for him to like yell or be angry he's fucking satan
0: and he's so, like, upset with Constantine that he will collect his soul himself. Exactly. Like, I'm gonna get out of my chair, I'm gonna leave my- my mansion, my hell mansion, come up to- to freaking Constantine on his deathbed. And you're like, ha, gotcha! John, hello. You're the one soul.
1: I would come up here to collect myself. Mm Mm-hmm. So I've heard. You mind? Oh, go go right ahead. I've got stock. Coffee now. Very fitting, John. And now when you cut too deep, you cut the tendons. Finger movement goes out the window. Let me help you. See, Sonny, I've got a whole theme park full of red delights for you. Aren't you a peach? You know exactly it's so petty and he's really excited <laughs> it's petty and he's-, and he's kind of excited mm-hmm. he's like i've been waiting so long and he says something like i've got so many red delights for you yeah he's already thinking about all the fucked up shit he's gonna do to kihanu peter sormer did a great job now that's a big plus the cast is a huge plus for this film the downside is that there's not enough of them Gabriel is in only one scene before the climax, before the reveal that Gabriel is the, the the person behind it, right? Right, yeah. And I'm like, that didn't really come as a twist. It doesn't. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be, but it was a reveal. But it was like, we didn't really get a sense of Gabriel. We, we got We got a great introduction. Gabriel's introduction in the film is great. Nothing wrong with it. Keep that in. But maybe one or two scenes more. You know, B-Man seems like the typical James Bond Q character, right? But he's only in the scene for two scenes, right? When he's mm-hmm. giving John all his obligatory religious weapons. And then when he dies, you know, um, same with Hennessy. Hennessy is less of a character and more of like a way to move the plot. Not every character in the movie needs to have a deep, Exploration of their consciousness or whatever. No, some characters just move the plot forward. But it seems like him and John have like a a strange relationship. They're like friends. It seems like uh Hennessy
0: looks up to Constantine. Like yes. he he sought out a possession that was worthy of Constantine's
1: time. Exactly. And and even to a certain extent, Chaz is kind of like that too. He looks up to Constantine, he really wants to get in the fight. So you have all these really interesting characters but the story doesn't do too much with them. Now what I will say is that the story does flesh out that the story does flesh out Rachel Weiss's character, which I loved because she's mm-hmm. a great polar opposite, she's a great foil to Constantine. It works beautifully. Their themes kind of come together. I love that. Great. I just wish maybe a little bit more for the side characters, particularly Gabriel. Peter Stormare i wish he was in it more but it makes sense that he's at the very end only yeah but yeah that was just something where i was like oh i you can't you- can't
0: forget papa midnight and balthazar like well, jimona well, i love seeing Jimon hansu in, in movies especially when they don't kill him off yeah it's like, yeah yeah it's like four movies where he doesn't die yeah well, the thing <laughs> and about- one of them's a prequel to us to a movie where he does die <laughs>
1: Well, Papa Midnight, I liked it because he was, like, in it for two to three scenes. I was like, okay, that's that's a good... And it seems like he's very far removed from all of them. Um, you know, he does help John with the chair. Um, but I wasn't so... You know, I was like, okay, he's in it an appropriate amount of time, you know? Uh, right. And the, the scenes that he's in, he takes advantage of. Like, where he's praying, you know, he's blessing them, and Keanu yeah. just walks away. I was like, those little things are great, right? And the way he treats Keanu when he's, like held that gun uh held that gunpoint i loved Mm -hmm. it i was like um papa midnight took all the scenes that he had and and did the most he could with it i felt like some of the other side characters could have used more including someone you mentioned Balthasar. in the end of the day the main antagonist is gabriel and balthazar yeah, I mean you could say it's Satan, but isn't Satan the villain in every movie? Well, he's the the uh enemy of my enemy is my friend. That is a really good point. The apocalypse is prevented because of Satan. Yeah. Um, we have two antagonists, Balthazar and Gabriel. And neither of them have too big of a presence. Gabriel doesn't only one only two scenes. Introduction and at the end. And Balthazar is sprinkled in. And he's such a douchebag. I wish he was in the film more. Like, he does a great job of milking every scene as well. So every time he's in it, you're like, oh, this son of a bitch. Yeah. But I wish he had a stronger presence. I felt like I needed someone to kind of, to just hate, you know? I mean, this is a, this is an action, a fantasy action Hollywood film. You know, I wish there was a stronger villain. Villain something that a lot of people will say is your story is only as good as your antagonist right and yeah hell and satan are pretty big antagonists but i wish we had gotten a bit more from someone we could directly point our anger towards which would either be gabriel or balthazar but but now but now here's the thing i don't know if it's a problem or I, well in all honesty i don't know how how you'd fix that what kind of scenes would you add with them how would you incorporate them more in the story? I don't know. That's that's kind of where I'm like, well, mm, I I think
0: maybe you could have had Gabriel in for one more scene. Um, and I th- I think there's like this uh, well, like the the connective tissue I think is the big issue. Like these clues all lead to the same place. Why are there so many of them? Like I said before, I could see the architecture of a film noir, but I'm not like in the film noir world just yet. Mm -hmm. It like doesn't do it enough. So I would have wanted to see more of that. Um, I think Gabriel could have been in a little bit more so that it's more of a twist when it's revealed that Gabriel is a villain. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's this weird, there's just like a lot of stuff where I'm like, why is this here? Mm -hmm. Like when Baltazar is like dying, like after Constantine is like blasted his face away. He's like, I did my part. Now, for my resurrection wait what are you doing and then he gets blown away and you don't see who does it so you know as a person who watches movies whoever that was We've is met. someone we're, we're not going to expect mm-hmm. and it doesn't make sense for anybody else but gabriel to be that person so you kind of like give it away there
1: well it, it's funny because i had this problem watching the film for the first time uh it wasn't that i knew it was gabriel it was at, at the very end when we see, when the reveal, when he uses the the power to reveal Gabriel. I was like, oh, I forgot they were in the movie. Yeah. I forgot Gabriel was a character in the film. I was like, oh, yeah, I met this person, what, 15, 20 minutes in? And for a two-hour mm-hmm. film, they came back at the last half an hour. I was like, so for an hour, they've been missing. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay.
0: It would just I, feel like more of a twist you could see Gabriel helping Constantine more and then kind of like piece back together oh Gabriel was leading Constantine astray
1: i feel conflicted because maybe that's a way to make it better but i also don't dislike what we got i'm like well you know it's in the There's, while watching it in the moment i was like i was digging it i was never bored um it it's it's this is a very strange movie because on one hand, I see what they're doing. I see what they're aiming for, and I appreciate it a lot. Especially how it kind of deviates from modern blockbusters, especially at the time. Uh, I like how it deviated a bit from it. How it tried some different things. I like the world building, but it is one of those things where it's like it could have been finessed a little bit better. I yes,
0: imagine. I I think that's what what's my my hesitation with the movie. That's why I'm not saying I love this movie. There's stuff that I love about the movie, but Mm -hmm. I don't love the movie because Mm -hmm. of the pacing issue. It doesn't go into the noir stuff enough. Like I can, I can see it there. Like the whole reason that it's set in LA lends itself to the noir genre, but Mm -hmm. the, the clue stuff and the, the twist that's kind of like not really a twist. So like, why is it even here? Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's the part where I'm like annoyed, and the the other thing that I don't like is I, I feel like we're not explained enough about the rules of of the magic in the world and stuff. Ooh. Like like I get that the half like the demons can only influence the humans and the angels can only influence the humans, but where do half breeds come from?
1: The magic and the rules. I love this movie because it doesn't hold your hand and explain every little bit. It does what I appreciate a lot lot in Mad Max Fury Road. There's an entire world, but the characters aren't going to explain every aspect. You're going to have to kind of come to your own conclusions about it, right? And with like Mad Max Fury Road, it was like the farm, all the the different factions, how they contribute to all this, the role of women. You have a lot of people that are deformed or have physical abnormalities, Physical abnormalities. So you're kind of trying to piece everything together. Constantine does that, and in my opinion, very beautifully, because you know, he's he points out because Angela is a newbie. She's like us, right? She's our conduit. And obviously, we need some of the stuff explained. But they explain just enough of it. Like the half-breeds, I don't need to know an explanation for half-breeds. They're just and they're just a byproduct of these two of this other world that's with with outside of our reach right uh so you have like your demonic forces that are not allowed in the real world and then you have your half breeds that can and from from what i gathered from the film it's basically that god and the devil made a wager who can who can take over the world right and it's an ever going battle it's a proxy war it's a, it's pro- like a cold yeah. war yes someone there was an article article that i read that compared it to that it, it is very much a cold war and you have these half-breeds that kind of influence it it's almost like okay we've we have these half-breeds that can sort of influence but they can't actually intervene in anything physically that's that's a good enough explanation for me if you're explaining every aspect of it then the entire film becomes an exposition though and instead of spending time with angela and constantine and their struggles you're explaining like what's happening you know like for example there's that scene where he's talking to angela uh after he traveled to hell he kind of gives a little bit more background but he also explains his own backstory which i think is much more important because we find out what and why he's such an asshole right he's an asshole because he died he come he saw a lot of half-breeds And it fucked with him so much that he decided to kill himself. But by doing so, he's inadvertently condemned his soul to damnation because it's a mortal sin to kill yourself if you're a devout Catholic. So at that point, you realize, oh, my God, this dude fucked because he made this decision as a child. He is so screwed. And this explains why he's been doing what he's doing because he in he wants to prevent his soul from going to hell and he thinks he can buy his way to heaven.
0: With all the good deeds that he does, the, all the exorcisms and everything.
1: And you start learning about that and I'm like, that's great. That's beautiful. I, I love that. In particular, I don't need to know all of these backstories and details and stuff. The details are there that I could look for if I'm really interested and they make the world richer, but I don't need it constantly explained. Like one of my favorite things was when he travels to hell to find Isabel, he uses a cat, right? He puts his his shoes in a pot of water. He, like he puts his feet with his shoes on in a pot of water and he grabs a hold of a cat. He doesn't explain it, but he does have this really funny line where it's, "Oh, what's the line?" "Half in, half out." Oh yeah, yeah, it's like cats are good. Half in, half out anyway. I don't really get that, but I love that line because it's like he's talking to himself and he understands all these different rules. So now I'm here, kind of like, well, maybe it's because cats have nine lives. <laughs> cats don't have nine lives. But it's a but it but it kind of lends itself to this fantasy where like the rules are fun and kind of ethereal, you know? Yeah, he, that, that's.
0: Uh, I think that's fine. Like, but what my problem is is what is the extent of these half breeds powers and where do they come from? Like, why do you need dragon's breath for exorcisms?
1: You don't are need the, dragon.
0: Um, Cause he buys dragon's breath from B-Man. It's a weapon. I Are I, the, are the half breeds possessed people? Like, are they possessed or are demons little, little stuff like that? It kind of, like, when he's in the, the hospital, right, and the, he turns on the sprinklers, are those people there just possessed people that he's killing? Mm.
1: I don't particularly know. And I kind of don't care. Like, you it doesn't. Care. Okay. It doesn't. It, it It's not that I don't care. It's that it doesn't bug me. The mm. explanation could be nice. But I, I don't want a movie that's bogged down in explanation.
0: I think they, they do a pretty good, because the world of Constantine is very, very complex. But this movie simplifies it a lot. Yes. But I still think there's some stuff where I'm like, wait, you're, you're saying that all of this stuff shouldn't be happening. But I'm not really sure what should be happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because he says that. He's like, oh, that demon is trying to come through. That's not allowed. How is this happening? Mm-hmm. But that it starts that way. So how is it supposed to be? You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. I get that. Which, while I was watching the movie, knowing that this was a comic uh, and knowing that there was a TV show, watching this movie, I did realize this would make a better TV show.
0: Well, it, the TV show only got one season. Because
1: so. I think Constantine and Hell, Hellblazer, I think the concept of this is amazing. This this was a comic books created by Alan Moore. And I think this is an incredible property. Like seeing this again, I'm like, there is a wealth of different stories and opportunities and characters that you could tell. I was like, this would have made a much better show. Because then you could go into all of that. You could have 10 episodes. You can explain the rules and intricacies of it. You could do it two ways. You could do it where he has a weekly mystery weekly case or you know it's like a long thing where it's like every season there's like a new world ending disaster or something like that Mm
0: -hmm.
1: a movie you know really a movie you only have three three and a half hours max and even that's pushing it right personally for me if i if they said okay we'll take some of this stuff out and we'll allocate 10 or 15 more minutes to the movie I would personally want to see more of the side characters, particularly Gabriel and Balthazar with, with the explanations. I'm fine with it because I, I have a vague understanding of it. Demons aren't supposed to be going to earth in physical form, but now they are. Now, how is this supposed to operate? Demons aren't supposed to physically be on earth. Balthazar is supposed to be there at some capacity, kind of influencing people. And you could influence people in a lot of different ways. Right so at that point you could start using your imagination well they could be you know angels and ha- good half-breeds and half bad half-breeds can be like you know politicians they could be um mm-hmm. they could be
0: I got the feeling that uh Balthazar was some kind of investment banker or something something yes. real like upscale you know something like Patrick Bateman you know?
1: Yeah, someone who has influence over the world and chooses to do the wrong thing because because they're fighting a larger war that humans are not aware of. And and for me right. that's a good enough explanation where I'm like, okay, I start I start filling in the blank. That ambiguity that you felt from the rules, for me, it just created this eagerness to want to see more.
0: Hmm. Myth- Sim, let me try to simplify this. Uh, I need to understand enough of the of the world so that I understand the significance of the character's actions. You know what I mean? Mm. Okay. Like when he goes to hell, um, he goes there to find uh, Isabel right to see if she's there because then that would tell tell us that she committed suicide, right? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. But when he finds it's a really cool scene, it's, it's a really well shot scene. He, he sees Isabelle and then she kind of like falls the same way she did in um, Angela's vision. And then like he like runs on the cars and jumps up and grabs the her hospital band mm-hmm. and brings it back with him to the real world. And he like crushes a, a water, a holy water on his mm-hmm. chest to do it. Right. It's mm-hmm. a really cool shot. But, but part of me is wondering like, wait, why did he need to do that? Was there, is there something special about the, the wrist, the, her hospital band? It's, it's really cool shot. It's like, oh, he can bring stuff from hell back to earth. That's, that's crazy. But it just says her like name on the hospital band and it doesn't lead to something, to something else.
1: You know what I mean? Because that was proof for uh, Angela. Mm. Because Angela was like, she did not kill herself. My sister would never, in a million years, she was a devout Catholic, she would never have done it. It was impossible. The the tag with her name on it was proof. So when she sees it, it's like, oh my god, he got this for my sister. My sister is actually in hell. She she legitimately killed herself. So at that point, it became less of, um, someone possessed my sister, forced her to do it, and it was why did she kill herself. That's how it made, made sense it to me. It proves to her
0: that she's she's actually in hell.
1: Yes. And as for the water, you know, he he kind of says it in the throwaway line. Like, it's like, there's no water in hell. So it's like a conduit that we use to get there. Um, oh, he
0: says, ask me if there's water in hell. And then <laughs> then he doesn't say anything when she
1: asks him. Yeah, I'm fine with fine. that. It's it's, fine. it's I'm like, I'm, I'm cool with this. But it seems like you wanted a little bit more.
0: If I knew beforehand that the holy water would bring him back to Earth then that scene would be a little bit more um, tense because it's like, okay, he needs to hang on to that holy water. Go. You know what I mean? Oh, the demons grabbing his hand. He can't reach his holy water. It adds like a little bit more tension
1: to the scene. If you know he needs that to come back to earth. Okay. Now see that, that, that's the interesting thing that I on some level agree with you. Cause I was mentioning earlier, this is not our typical action film, right? This is a, I think it's a hard-boiled detective noir about angels and demons. That that's and I think it does the noir really well. Now, he, Constantine in a traditional film would have a battle in hell, right? Or not a battle, but maybe a or maybe a battle in hell, but like a confrontation, right? Where it's like, <laughs> you know that he needs his that that um you know what it is? It's a Christmas ornament. It's actual like, so it looks like a bomb, but it's actually in real life. It's a Christmas ornament that they filled with water. Mm-hmm. Um, So <laughs> I just thought that was really interesting. <laughs> so with that ornament, right? Uh, w- with holy water, uh, he needs to get back. So that's where they would do the thing that you said, right? And, and I'm not saying it's a bad decision. I'm not. I'm not saying it's a bad decision at all. It's where kind of, I mean, that's why I feel very conflicted because on one hand, that would be a cool scene, right? He's trying to get proof. He finds the proof, but now he can't, ha- he, 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 you know, he's dropped the ornament for whatever reason. And now he's trying to get it and he's being surrounded by demons, right? And he's underneath the car and he's trying to find the ornament and all the demons are on top of him. And then he has to have one last final moment where he grabs the ornament, breaks it, and then he's transported and he narrowly evaded the demons from hell. That's kind of how I, I could see that scene playing out in a different version of this this movie skips that he yeah, sees and- he sees what he needs he goes in. he gets out and it's kind of weird because i that's how kind of i feel about this movie i'm like half in half out <laughs> I, I want i want that movie that you're saying right that one that you're that you're explaining i want that movie where the stakes are presented a little bit more clearly Uh, it has a bit more of those scenes because that's fun. That's cool, right? The Matrix had that. But on some level, this isn't
0: that. I'm not saying that it's uh, inherently bad to be ambiguous, but there's Mm -hmm. some things where I need a little bit so I know what to care about. Like when he's reading, uh, an example of the movie doing this well, I think is when he's confronting Balthazar, right? And he's about to send him back to hell, but Balthazar doesn't really care. But he's like, oh, I'm going to trick him. I'm going to read him his last rites so that he goes to heaven. Right? Mm -hmm. Now I understand the stakes of this scene. And even though the concept is, like, kind of silly, I I understand the stakes. And as he's, like, reading his Bible verses and stuff, you can see Balthazar be like, uh, actually, I don't want to go to heaven. That sounds like a terrible time for me. That was a great scene. I'm a bad boy. You know, <laughs> um, so like that, that scene right there makes sense, you know, uh, in the, the other one that I said, it's a really, the way it's shot is really cool, but I don't really understand the, the stakes to justify how cool it looks. You know what I mean? Like, uh, if we go back to The Matrix, right? Because this movie, you yeah, know, there's people who watched this movie were expecting The Matrix and were yes. disappointed. And that's that's not really fair to this movie. No. But with the Matrix, when you see all like the really cool special effects, the really the slowdown and everything, there's there's significance to those scenes, right? There's significance to the events happening. Like why we're focusing in on Neo being able to dodge the bullets. He's doing something that nobody else has done before. So it gets like this ridiculous camera angle where time freezes and everything. Um, And we we understand what's happening because the movie set that up. I don't really understand what's happening when it it gets set up in in Constantine, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But they do a really good job of being telling you just enough so that you can go along with the scene.
1: I appreciate that to a certain extent. I think I, I think we're on the same boat where it's like the Matrix does it perfectly. It rides that line the entire way. Uh, this doesn't this is a bit more committed to like the noir angle of it and on some levels it is a little a little ambiguous but i i, I think that really just comes down to personal preference because I, yeah. I, I do imagine some people being like i wish it was explained just, and just a think- little
0: bit more so that i understand the significance of the scenes
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah like at the end when he's shooting the half breeds, i'm like wait are those people that are just possessed? Can't he just exercise them? He's just killing them.
1: That's a lot of people to exercise, though.
0: That's a lot of people to kill.
1: <laughs> no. Hey, man, He, he, he has people. to kill them. If not, Maman will will go on Earth and a lot more people will die. Yeah, that's true, I guess. He, even, even if we knew if they were people, like let's say these were people that were possessed, uh, they got to go. There's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really messed up. It's really messed up, but they have to go. Because <laughs> in the end of the day...
0: There's actually a scene that was cut out of this movie that would con- that tells me half-breeds are not people who are possessed.
1: Oh, but they took it out.
0: They actually cut a they cut a lot out of this movie and I I see why they did it, but the reasons they did it, I still have issues with with
1: the final movie. <laughs> yeah. No, see, watching this movie I did realize I did get the sense that it feels like this was uh, this was cut down a lot. Yeah, it feels like this this, just because there are some movies where it's like okay no this was written tightly everything made sense boom 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 and there are just some movies where it's like wait this doesn't make sense like what what's happening here and it feels like there was a lot more and I don't think with this movie it was necessarily that I think it was like they just had too much material in terms of all the world and the characters because I'm sure Tilda Swinton didn't just film one or two scenes I think she filmed maybe a bit more but I'm sure that there was like a strict running time that warners wanted to stick with and it's like no this is a two-hour movie this also just kind of pushes my my the feeling that i had that's like this would have been a great tv show one hour 10 one hour episodes you could do as much as you want and really build to that final climax where satan himself has to come down
0: well they did try twice so (laughs) it didn't happen unfortunate it could have been it could have been but I, I think uh, with the pacing issues that uh, I described before, which is why I don't think it's a, a good noir, because he's not following the clues mm-hmm. enough. Like, there's not connective tissue between the, the chasing of clues. But I do think that it succeeds in, like, the, the, the cast of crazy characters, which are in noir films, you know? it It does paint L.A. to be, like, this really shady place, which is what noir films do mm-hmm. it does have this character who is like our hero but he's kind of fucked up that's very mm-hmm. very noir yeah um so i i think it does it's like half in, half out on the noir thing mostly in i would say 75 percent in on on um noir yeah and uh, the thing about noir too is sometimes there's so many different like clues it kind of descends into madness how mm-hmm. like he's chasing like a wild goose. He's chasing a Maltese Falcon, you know, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's an escalation to it in, in the noir film. I, I feel like, uh, in this movie, he finally gets there when the audience has been there the whole time. Like we know that the, that spear of destiny is important because we saw It got a title card and we saw it almost kill a man. And then it doesn't really matter because he doesn't find it anyway until the very end of the movie like there's no chase after the 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 spear. Does that make sense? Am I making sense?
1: No, no, it it does. It makes sense, yeah.
0: It's just that that, that first half of the movie which is is hard cuz you have to establish this magic world and stuff. But I don't know, maybe maybe the second one it you know with the more films under the director's belt, you know, I maybe it'll be better. Maybe it'll get over all of the the stuff that I don't like about the movie, or maybe it's just a personal thing. And I, I, it, well, I guess there's a lot of people who don't like this movie, but that's why that's, what's holding me back from loving it.
1: I think it, it succeeds in its overall noir ambitions, right? Um, I mean, that following clues and having too many and having too many, that's part of the, that's part of it too. You know, some noir films, are so invested in the paper trail that it's like, okay, this is confusing. I can't follow this, right? I think what makes this really noir and why I think it ultimately succeeds is because John's central story and his main conflict is very noir. He's a detective who is kind of an asshole, but he has a responsibility. Now, Constantine is doing it but he's doing it reluctantly or not reluctantly, but he's doing it with not the right intentions because he wants to save his soul. He wants to buy his way into heaven when he should be doing it because it's the right thing to do. Right. Regardless of what God and Satan are doing, because God is painted in a very, um, he's not a good person. No, 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 he's not. <laughs> he is. I mean, he's wagering people's lives, you know, yeah. and for, for a bet, essentially. And, You know, God is basically just this careless. He's he's, God is part of this careless system that doesn't care for people. You know, He's not answering people's prayers. He's kind of just letting things run amok. He's not even helping when people are having trying to have good intentions. You know, like John at the end, where he's like, "I could use a little. I could use a little attention."
0: Mm -hmm. Nothing.
1: Um, God doesn't (laughs) give a fuck. Now, the thing about John, what makes him a noir character? He's very. He's very damaged and he's very lonely yes because of the things that he has seen Mm -hmm. he that that's depressed him and it's almost made him jaded and nihilistic because he knows what we don't what he knows what nobody what a lot of other people don't which is that when you do die you go to heaven or hell and he knows exactly where he's going to it's like going in a car ride and knowing that at the end of it you are gonna get in a really terrible car accident that's going to jade you. That's going to wear you down. As a person. Mm-hmm. And he's a lonely character. Because he can't really relate to people. And the thing is too. The people that are around him die. In this one movie. Three of his close friends die. B-Man, Hennessy, and Chaz. Like the only friend that he has left. Is Papa Midnight. Papa Midnight and
0: Angela. And, and Papa Midnight know? is like. It a, a, a used to be his friend. Yeah, It's implied there's like uh, implied history that they have.
1: They have a love and hate relationship. Papa Midnight's not above fucking up Constantine and neither is Constantine like pointing a gun at him. But the people closest to John in this film, the three closest people to John have died. And he even, he says it, I don't need more ghosts following me around. So he has been through this before. He is the detective is reluctant but he does the right thing because it's the right thing because deep down he does love humanity but he feels that the rules are set against him and humanity itself there's that scene with gabriel he's like all these rules and inscriptions and all these things and he tosses the book he's a frustrated man you know it's like there's Mm -hmm. no winning regardless of how hard i try there is no winning i never asked to see I was born with this curse. A gift, John,
0: one that you've squandered on selfish endeavors.
1: I've pulling demons out of little
0: girls. Who's that for? Everything you've ever done you've only ever done for yourself to earn your way back into his good graces.
1: Possible rules, endless regulations. who goes up? Who goes down? And why?
0: understand us. you're the one who should go to hell
1: half-breed no matter how much good i do i cannot save my soul and i can't save other people i can't save the people next to me my closest friends and i can't save myself so what the fuck what's really what really sucks is that he the reason he tried to kill himself is because
0: he didn't understand his abilities and the world didn't understand his abilities he was,
1: he was fucking, what's it called? Lobot- not lobotomized. Um,
0: he had shock therapy.
1: Elect- yeah, He, he th- his parents, there's that line where he's like, my parents were normal, so they made it worse. <laughs> and, and and you see them electric shocking this kid, you know? Yeah. And he got to go to hell. And he says, a few minutes in hell is a life, a few minutes dead in the real world is a lifetime in hell. So mm-hmm. everything that they did to him, he is completely fractured. And that's 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 one of the big things about Noir, right? There, there's a wonderful article that I'm gonna reference uh a lot. It's called The Haunted Heart of Constantine, and it was written by Priscilla Page. I recommend it. It's an analysis by by Priscilla for Polygon. Um you know, uh this is this is what she writes the detective story is a rift on the quest of the knight errant and though constantine would never admit it he's essentially a knight in tarnished armor um in his letters raymond chandler wrote that the detective is the avenging justice the bringer of order out of chaos a perfect description for john of john constantine who brings order out of the ultimate chaos the threat of the apocalypse Uh, Constantine hates the impossible rules and the endless regulations that trap him and humankind. The laws of God and the devil are like ours, as it turns out. They don't actually determine what's good or bad, just what you could get away with. The world behind the world is as corrupt as this one, if not more so because we expect God to be better than us. Instead, he's just as petty and fallible as his creation. God and the devil have lost the plot and forgotten humankind over their little bet, unleashing a war in which Constantine is both a veteran and a casualty. That's a great line. And this article is incredible. But but here's what really brings me, my affection for this movie a lot. Angela Dodson, played by the incredible Rachel Wise, is the only newcomer of Constantine's inner circle. They're brought together by death. Constantine's terminal illness, or uh, terminal Diagnosis and the death of Angela's twin sister, Isabel, by suicide. Just as Angela helps facilitate Constantine's arc from self-lit, some from selfish to selfless, Constantine is a catalyst for Angela's evolution. Angela's complicated. Into, introduced to us in a confessional after having shot yet another man, she's a Catholic who kills people for a living. Like Constantine, she lives with guilt. For her, it's because she betrayed and abandoned her twin sister, denied their shared gift. Um... They go on to say how like the relationship of Angela and Constantine kind of they help each other out, and she says, um, she kind of says how the film foreshadows how Angela helps and saves Constantine. Because let's let's remember that at the very end, Angela's trying to save Angela and Isabel. And by inadvertently helping her, he saves his own soul. Uh Priscilla writes. Just before Angela comes knocking on his door, Constantine sits at, sits, as his ki- sits at his kitchen table and finishes his drink, then uses the glass to trap a hapless spider, filling it up with cigarette smoke as the creature tries in vain to escape. Welcome to my life, he says. It's an image that not only expresses how Constantine feels, it distills noir and its fatalism. Meaningfully, it's Angela who releases the spider before she leaves, anticipating the way she helps free Constantine from cancer and damnation. Um, nice that's a really good point point. and this is her big this is her big point Constantine is a film about forgiveness about second chances about the bonds forged between the broken the traumatized, the alienated in Constantine's climatic sequence both Angela and Constantine revisit and confront their trauma Angela in the high thro- hydrotherapy room where her sister died Constantine repeating his own suicide in a psychia- psych- psychiatric ward Constantine is about the ways grief and trauma and pain can knock you into another universe only understood by those who've shared the same feelings, the same expressions. It's about how the truth of the existence is a horror best weathered with a friend. It's about the lost and the powerless realizing that their lives do in fact have meaning and our faith in each other is what delivers us. He's still ambivalent, still Constantine, but but maybe he's cast aside a little bit of his nihilism, gained some peace, understood his own significance in the end he finds a place among the people he's fought so long to protect john constantine saves the world and he saves himself
0: and then he instead of taking a trademark cigarette in his mouth he starts
1: chewing some gum yeah exactly and it's that it's that arc right obviously from self selfish to selfless but that arc that relationship that he has with Angela, that to me makes it feel so noir, but also it's like the beating heart of the film. Yeah. On that front, I think it succeeds because it's totally about that. We go right into Angela's like, like psyche. And mm. that that is a reveal.
0: That she can see them.
1: Yeah, that is he- a reveal that I wasn't expecting. It does make her flawed because it was like, yeah, you kind of fucked up. But I mean, but I can't blame her. She was that's, how she,
0: that's how she survived you know that's how she got to have a normal life and why her sister was committed
1: exactly and their relationship is really beautiful and it, it i mean obviously it starts very pretty complicated but francis lawrence said that that scene where she goes to hell to see for herself he said that was a really interesting scene because kinetically on some level that is kind of like their sex scene now just to be clear Keanu and Rachel Wise do not have sex. They don't even kiss. They flirt a little bit. They,
0: he does that thing where he like leans in to kiss her, but he's actually just like putting the necklace on her so that she's protected from the spirits or whatever.
1: Well, and there's also that scene where he's where he's like, "Should I take my clothes off?" When she's gonna go into the uh, into the tub, and he's like, think, "He's like, I'm thinking." <laughs> and and I, I okay, I have to say I love that scene because I think in another film it would have been a bit more like overt. But here it's just kind of played very nonchalantly. And it shows that Constantine is an asshole. But he could be funny. And he show, it shows like they have rapport building together. I I really yeah. like that scene. I, um,
0: They have really good
1: chemistry together. Which, yeah. which
0: is why I don't hate the movie. Mm-hmm. It's why I like the movie more than I dislike the movie. Because the people playing the characters that are already pretty good... The acting is pretty good too. Like they have really oh, good yeah. chemistry. You want them to kiss, but fucking Constantine won't do it. The way that that scene goes, like he, when he shows Angela hell, he has to have her completely submerged underwater. And she's like, oh, how long? He's like, as long as it takes. And then he yeah. pr- almost drowns her. She's well, like think- struggling to get a breath of air
1: i think that was the point i think to hell yeah. you have to get to a point where you're near death because that's kind of how he got there right now mm-hmm. he doesn't straight up kill her but he definitely has to put her in a position where she's about to die and yeah uh i think and i think that's what and he he was like this is a tough thing like this is not for the faint of Harnish. It's like, I need to I need to see it for myself. Yeah. Uh, but that seems really interesting because the article says, though they only flirt with romance, they do have a kind of sex scene where Constantine drowns Angela in the bathtub until she glimpses hell for the first time. It's a ritual that requires complete trust, vulnerability, and faith. Which is kind of like a really interesting point. I didn't see it that way. But it's that kind mm-hmm. of like reinterpretation of of what two characters of what two leads in a noir film would be if that makes sense. Instead of sleeping with her, he flirts with her, but they trust each other so much now. They get to the point where they have to trust each other and she's in a vulnerable state. I mean, how he almost kills her, not purposely, but I mean to to show her what she wants. And it's it's a really interest interesting scene, you know. It's like um Constantine is almost like a guide for her mm-hmm. because she's someone who neglected her psychic powers, but now he has to reintroduce them to her.
0: Yeah. And then so that's, makes, and that's when she's like, Oh, I can see things. And then she goes over to her B man was murdered. And then she, she finds Balthazar's coin and that tells him, Oh, Balthazar has been killing my friends. And that's, that's when like the movie is like really good. Like it's that's when your your one thing one scene leads to the next and it's yeah. a really progressive. Like the ball is rolling, you know.
1: I think when they focus on that relationship, it's. I think it's when yes. it's running the most and exactly. I think Rachel Wise does a phenomenal job. You know, you're so and, good. And her relationship with Keanu, it's like, yeah, it's nice and flirty, but they're helping each other on a thematic level, like with mm. real trauma, both of them. Right. Yes. And he's forceful when he needs to be. She she settles his ass down when she when he needs to be settled down. Uh and the end of the day, um, they're better because of each other, and I love that. I I think that's I think that yeah. hit it a one hundred percent
0: with their with the character stuff and like the the setting of L.A. being hell. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's really cool.
1: That's really funny too.
0: It also I don't know if you've ever watched the the. Buffy the Vampire Slayer spinoff, Angel. I have not. Very much the same as Constantine, where Angel mm. is working towards redemption. Uh, he's working with all these shady characters. He himself is damned, but he's trying to, like, make up for all the bad that he's done. Um, and he has he's a detective. It's like Angel investigations. Like It's the same kind of thing. Mm. And there's even like this whole bit where hell is actually Los Angeles or something. <laughs>
1: uh, it's really okay. funny. Okay, so they did succeed on something. Like this premise did succeed on some level. Yeah, it just it took it just took the writers and showrunners of of Angel to get it right. Because for some reason, I guess just Constantine has not worked. um And it, look, it might have not worked for different reasons. Maybe the network. Yeah. Maybe I, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. This wasn't a cheap movie to make either. So. No,
0: and it used to be a lot more expensive with some of the stuff that they wanted to do. Yeah, uh, so... But we can. Do you want to move into some of the how it was made kind of stuff and different. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. Okay, so the origin of John Constantine was not from uh, Sandman, as I mm-hmm. said incorrectly. It actually came from... Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing, which is a comic book, and then... This was in, like, 85, right? And he has this, like, con artist, magician, anti-hero who's a sorcerer. He's British. He has a, orange, like a, uh, a trench coat, kind of a brown trench coat, blonde hair. And the reason he looks the way he does is because the artists that worked with Alan Moore to create this character, they really wanted to make Sting from the police into a comic book. Like, they wanted to make a character that looked like Sting. And he's like a uh, uh, sorcerer, sorcerer who is an everyman instead of like an uptight, like older guy. He's he's a, a blue collar sorcerer. He's a working man sorcerer. So John Constantine was born. He got his own spin-off series called Hellblazer in 87. Why was it called Hellblazer? Because in 87, there was a very popular movie called Hellraiser. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to call it they wanted to call the Constantine series Hellraiser, but that's already taken. So they called it Hellblazer. And this is funny. When they wanted to make this into a movie, they're like, Hellblazer sounds too similar to Hellraiser. So let's Mm -hmm. call it Constantine.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and on top of that, in 2004, you had Hellboy directed by Guillermo del Toro Mm -hmm. come out. So you've got way too many titles with the now with the, that start with the word hell.
0: They wanted to make this into a movie. They got the rights in 1999, and then a few years go by, and they're gonna. All right, we got we're gonna have Tarsum Singh, director of *The Cell* and one of my favorite movies, *The Fall*, to to make a John Constantine movie. Hi, and they were going to get Nicolas Cage to star as John Constantine. However. This did not happen. In fact, there were lawsuits filed against, like, Singh was sued by Warner Brothers because he dropped out, and Singh sued them back, saying that Warner Brothers baited him with false promises, usurped his creative rights, rights guaranteed under the DGA agreement, the Directors Guild of America. So he sued them back because the, they took away his creative rights and they he even said that they were trying to find a director to replace him while he was working for the movie. So it's it's messy. And to be honest, I I feel like Keanu Reeves is a much more likable Constantine even though Constantine's not supposed to be like 100% likable.
1: Keanu is able to ride that line where it's like yeah, these are assholish behaviors, but we still like him because, you know. Keanu, Keanu. just found just <laughs> he's found that like line that he could walk on where he's like yeah, yeah. an asshole but she still really like him.
0: But I do love Tarsim Singh's like vision like his the way that he makes his movies look. Mm-hmm. His, I love that. And I think a Constantine under his vision would would have been really cool to see. But ultimately I do like the the way that Constantine looks in the movie that we got because You do have these really cool images of him going to hell and to, to create hell, they had to like, think about it, right. When they're making the move, like, wait, how's hell going to look? They were looking at some nuclear test footage and we want, they wanted it to be in that moment when the nuclear fire is burning and disintegrating, disintegrating buildings and stuff. They wanted to like be in that moment forever. So when yeah. Constantine goes to hell it looks like a bomb went off or a bomb is going off. You see like debris and dust like hit stuff and like wrap around it. Like it's a really cool effect that I think holds up very well. In the original script hell is a black
1: void and it was like the the ground was like an oil slick and there were some bones lying around. I thought, you know, that's all been kind of done before. What would make it more relatable? And I thought, because I'm approaching
0: everything in a sort of a realistic way, it'd be really interesting to give a real geography to hell. Francis had done a lot of visual homework to really set up what he wanted. he showed me pictures, he had a lot of references. He wanted hell to be a freeway from the get-go.
1: There's also a little bit
0: of a joke of, you know, the LA freeway system being hell.
1: I had an idea early on about what I thought hell should look like and in one of my first meetings with Francis and Naomi Shohan, I suggested that hell look like that moment when the heat wave from the nuclear blast hits everything just before the shock wave which blows it all apart. And when the heat wave hits, it, things stream off violently, they melt, they catch fire, they, they start to blow apart but they aren't really disintegrating until the shock wave hits. And I said, maybe hell is that moment during a nuclear blast, but it lasts forever. And I thought that was just great. I mean, that just kind of finished it all off. So you just have this insane, super directional wind.
0: We had videos of nuclear tests, the ones that they did in White Sands.
1: In the end, we came up with the hell that you're going to see in the movie. Even the designs of the creatures holds up really well. You know, in that scene where he goes to find Isabel... Um, you see that one creature just turn its head slightly and it's missing the top half. Like all yeah. the nooks and the crannies, but mm-hmm. the way they walk, like that had to be designed and mm-hmm. it is really believable. Like you're like, holy shit. I, I can't tell if this is computer generated or a puppet, but well, that's the point.
0: Interestingly enough, they had Stan Winston's people, a name that we've said on this podcast Plenty numerous times. times.
1: We last mentioned him on Predator.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they had his people, his company, work on a practical demon in hell—the one without the brain—and mm-hmm. um, then every other shot of the demons was CG. But it looks pretty good, and they, no, it, you could tell that they had up. an yeah, they had an idea. They wanted to make this like decrepit, weak-looking thing without any senses, with with no brain, no eyes, and all it could do is smell, and it knew to devour. But it, it yeah. did it in a very cowardly way where mm-hmm. it had to, like, group up with all of its friends and, like, jump things, you know? And I think yeah. that the the vision of, of the movie looks... It looks really good. And originally, John Constantine is a British, right? And he's more of a sorcerer. Uh, they, they made him to Keanu Reeves and they set it in L.A., mm-hmm. which I think is fine because it helps you know, get into that noir space. It helps lend this new film version of the character into something that Keanu Reeves can comfortably do and do well. So Constantine, the reason why Constantine is damned in the comics is because he was trying to do do something and he ends up conjuring a demon, which is an ability that he has in the comics and not in this movie. He conjures a demon that ends up taking his friend's daughter's soul to hell so he damns a little girl (laughs) which is really bad right and obviously he didn't mean to do it but that's a really bad thing to do in the movie it's all rooted in catholicism so you have that mortal sin concept of him trying to take his own life um which is very different from the the comic books it wasn't rooted so much in catholicism it was more into the occult and there was still heaven and hell, but it wasn't just like the Catholic versions of those concepts. Uh, in the movie, I think making it simplified into to, to Catholicism, to making his, uh, his, his sin, suicide. It works for the movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I don't think that that's a problem. And I know a lot of comic book people were upset about all the changes. Why isn't he blonde? Why isn't he British? Why did, why is he Catholic? Why does he stop smoking cigarettes? You know, that was a problem that people had with this movie.
1: And that's why, that's why I always go to say that, you know, that's why some films need to take creative liberties. You know, because with some creative liberties, you could get something better. Now, I'm not saying this is better than the comics. I think it just works better for the film. Because I do understand, I, I think when you make it about Catholicism, you kind of pigeonhole yourself into that specific area. Which, I mean, it's still a grand area. There's still a lot to play with. But when you have it be the occult, you know, there's different versions of it and there are different countries' interpretation of the occult and what comes with it. Heaven and hell are just a part of it. But that works in a comic.
0: I think it could even work in a movie. But for this movie, I think the the whole concept of suicide is important to this movie. Mm -hmm. And it's also very important in the Catholic religion
1: yes yeah 100 so percent.
0: i think it's a good change for this movie
1: from the context of the film given how catholicism has viewed and seen suicide its views on suicide have changed right like now if you commit suicide you can get a a, a, mem- a burial like it's i think that changed in the 80s right when they started learning more about mental health so those hmm. that that's not really applicable. That's you could say that's like a plot hole, right? In the movie. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. It's a plot hole because the Catholic Church has has changed their views on mental on, on mental health and suicide. Yeah. But for the purposes of this story, you know, it's very much um escaping trauma, overcoming it, and like redeeming your soul in some way. And
0: making meaningful connections with, with others, yes.
1: too. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, I'm not saying that the comics were devoid of that. I just... I No, the I
0: comics do. had a different objective. You know, you're you're building like this other world. You're telling different stories there. Um, and this, the story of, of Constantine, the movie, is kind of based off of a certain character, uh, comic arc in the series. One that is supposed to be like really good in the series. And on the Wikipedia, it says it's... Often considered to be both the best Hellblazer stories of the best of Ennis's work. Uh, Garth Ennis is a writer who's also the writer of Preacher. If you've ever mm, heard, of yeah, that? I've heard
1: about it, they made a show out, about it, out of it yeah. out of Preacher.
0: I was a big fan of the comic, I didn't see this show very much, but anyway, in the comic, uh, arc that is called Dangerous Habits and it has Constantine being diagnosed with cancer, and he's like. fuck. I'm going to go to hell. I need to try something. I need to do something. And then he goes to all these different people. And they're like, can't help you, John. He's like, damn. He meets this demonic ally, Ellie. And she doesn't really help him that much. Kind of helps him a little bit. And eventually he starts to make some deals with a lot of... um, With two different demons or hell lords or something. And when they come to collect, uh, they're like... Hey, I'm supposed to take his soul. No, I'm supposed to take his soul. Well, we can't both take his soul, but we can't exactly fight over it because we're going to start a war in hell. You know what? I guess we'll have to clear his, his lung cancer and, <laughs> get him and have him live so that we can work this out later so that they take away his, his cancer, that the hell lords do. And then he flips him off. As he, comes, as he comes back to life, which is something that happens in the, the movie, right? He, he flips off Satan as he's ascending to heaven. And Satan's like, no, I'm, you're coming back. I'm going to cure your cancer.
1: <laughs> which, is, which is, he outwitted the devil. And the devil had no, it was either heaven or earth. And, and Satan was like, oh, man, this, this motherfucker is going to fuck up. I know it. He
0: manipulates that. That's one of his things that he does in the comics. He's like a master manipulator, right? He is mm-hmm. a sorcerer. He does have magic, but he likes to use his wits, which I think yeah. makes him a little bit more relatable. Cause like mm-hmm. we can't summon fireballs and shit. We don't know Latin. We can't do that. But theoretically we could outsmart people. Yeah. So Constantine doesn't ever use like weapons like he does in the movie. The comic book version, which I guess it could be kind of annoying because he does do some like crazy magic stuff. And maybe that would have been more interesting to see in a movie because we've seen Keanu Reeves shoot people with guns. You know, yeah. we've seen him do it a lot.
1: But with magic, that would have been cool. magic
0: that that might have been really cool. That being said, the work that went into creating the props of this movie. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Incredible stuff. Like, there was so much work in creating the demons. They, they had to think about what kind of creatures they're going to be, but also the stuff that Constantine uses. Like, when he's being confronted by Balthazar, and he uses the dragon's breath, and Balthazar's like, Psh, I was born of fire. You can't do shit to me. And then he throws the holy water. He's like, okay, that's a little bit better. But then he, he reaches into his pocket and grabs these knuckles with little crosses on them. You see them for like maybe 10 seconds. But if you, the, I watched this uh, part of the behind the scenes stuff on the props mm-hmm. and they had inscripted Latin on, on all of the, around the, the brass, holy knuckles, one for each mortal sin on the knuckles or for four <laughs> of the seven deadly sins. And he's like, no one's going to know this,
1: but me, but th- that's cool. And that's no, funny. That little detail. That like, little detail goes a long way.
0: For For this movie, for this Constantine character who's like a no, noir detective for exorcisms and demons and shit, it makes sense for him to have that in his arsenal. Brass knuckles with crosses on them that do holy damage to, to demons or half-breeds. Like, that, that's cool. I like that. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, they went so much... In, they went to into such great lengths to get the details right on these props. Like, there's a Latin phrase engraved in the side of Constantine's lighter, the Zippo one. Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, I can't say it because it's in Latin, but it's translated <laughs> to let justice be done, though the world perish. And it's... In a weird way, it kind of represents... Constantine you know like to get justice at any cost his friends may have died but that's the price the fight in order on. to save humanity to prevent mm-hmm. apocalypse from raining down on earth I I love that little detail they have like pictures and scans of like what the spear of destiny the the spear that was attributed to killing Jesus when he was crucified what that was like you know like the they have like the crosses on the holy hand grenades that were actually (laughs) ornaments with water
0: the holy the holy shotgun too.
1: the holy shotgun it was great it's funny you were talking about the the brass knuckles according to uh francis lawrence constantine's brass knuckles are made from gold that was blessed by a bishop during the crusades it's that little that little thing you know mm. what I mean? Where it's like, whoa, these little details that none of us really got, but when, but once the once they do come out, you're like, man, I noticed the crosses. I know this is badass. Which on some level is kind of why I'm like, well, that's why I'd wish he had used them a little bit more. You know?
0: I th- I think the is used enough of it because, like Constantine in the comics was a manipulator, right? And how he wins in the movie is manipulating, and I think that is more interesting than um you know like a straight up action movie where he uses all these holy gadgets to to kill halfbreeds
1: well the i mean the the ending is basically just a conversation i mean outside of the scene where you know all of the halfbreeds are taken out with the shotgun cuz we still get that it's still a hollywood yeah, film it's still
0: it's still like i i think it's still enough of the action parts but
1: but the uh, him killing the halfbreeds does not solve the problem Right, Gabriel is still gonna let out, release Maman. What gets him out is outwitting Gabriel and mm-hmm. talking to Satan. And he still saves Isabel. He doesn't fight Satan. He, you know, I'm I'm sure even uh, Constantine would have said that's a losing battle. You can't beat Satan, but I can outwit him. Or or not outwit him. He becomes selfless and he sacrifices his life because at that point he's like, uh, look, I'm gonna go to hell. There's no way around this. I might as well save Isabel. Like if I could save Isabel's soul and I could get rid of Maman from going onto Earth, my job's done. I could, I could go to hell knowing I did something right. And it's only then that that God saves him. That's really cool. Instead of having mm-hmm. the big climactic battle where he has to fight Satan one on one in hell, I mean that could still be kind of cool on paper. But I think this was more interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do like that. But with the little that we got from the props, I'm like, those are really cool. Like, I remember the the holy shotgun
1: from the video game
0: like that. It was just so unique. And then if you like actually look at it, like a lot of work went into making it. And if you go into the behind the scenes stuff, it's like, wow, a lot of work went into making that thing. They
1: even made things that that seem kind of insignificant, seem a lot more significant. Like, you know, when they're being attacked by the flying half or demons out in the streets, mm-hmm. he wraps a cloth around his hand. So apparently in the description, in the commentary, the director says that that's actually cloth that Moses used <laughs> at some point. That's how it was able to en- enlarge the flame and make it like a blinding light. And I'm like, there is no context for that anywhere in the film. So there's no way yeah. I would have known that that cloth belonged to Moses. But that is so badass.
0: there's only so much of it too yeah so like moses is is getting more stuff in his wardrobe
1: (laughs) no 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 you only have a finite amount of it so when it it really is your get out of jail free card but it's things like that those attentions to detail and again we don't see the cloth like it's not really they they cut that scene out you know i heard that that Mm -hmm. was a part of the deleted scenes they had to take it out i'm guessing for time because the movie is so strictly it was strictly yeah. length it at two hours, but um it doesn't matter because it still makes a badass scene and there's still a story to it. And to me, that shows that the the prop master and the crew really went out of their way to make all these little details count.
0: hmm Uh I think the maybe the last thing that I want to bring up is some really big thing that they cut out of the movie. An entire character. Ellie. Ellie is a She's from the comics as well. She is a succubus uh, who's kind of like helps out Constantine a little bit, has sex with them and stuff Uh, there. She used to be in the
1: movie. She was played by Michelle Monaghan. Monaghan? Oh, Monaghan. Monaghan. Yeah. I recognize her. She's one of the half breeds at the end.
0: Yes. That's the only scene that she's in now. She says, holy water. Yeah. And we don't see her ever again
1: oh my God, that is so weird. Cause I noticed, I was like, that's Michelle mm-hmm. Monaghan. But this was yeah. before she was big. Yeah. So I was like, oh, did she just do some background work? She was a main, she was a bigger character.
0: She was a much bigger character. She, she, like, as soon as he gets diagnosed with cancer, he leaves and then you see him like getting dressed, having conversation with Ellie. And he's like, is there anything you can do? And then she's like, nope, LOL, ha pretty much she and then when he goes into uh uh papa midnight's bar with his like neutral ground she's there and she's continuing to like taunt him and he's like "Do you know anything about any rising darkness or what's going on she's like nope and then at the end towards the end he she repeats the line about him you're the one soul that satan himself would come up to collect Which, you know, further foreshadows what's going to happen at the end of the movie. And then at the very end, when he's fighting all the half-breeds, he lets her go. So she's still alive in the Constantine universe. He doesn't kill her.
1: Whoa. I did not know it went that far. Yeah. I thought she was just a background actor because Michelle Monaghan... I think before this, she was like in a few other roles. She was like in the Bourne supremacy as one of the analysts trying to capture Jason Bourne. Mm-hmm. I know because I rewatched that movie <laughs> and I was like, that's Michelle Monaghan. Yeah. Um. Holy shit. I did not know she had a way bigger role. Way bigger. Yeah. Cause, it, cause as of right now, the way the movie's cut, you think she's dead. She's super dead.
0: Yeah. He, but she, he lets her go. Cause you know, he, he knew her, which tells you, Oh, the half breeds are like actual people, mm-hmm. you know, because he Constantine
1: wouldn't just have sex with a possessed girl, right? That seems very creepy, a la that, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty
0: four. Yeah, <laughs> even Constantine has standards.
1: Yeah, yeah, that. Okay, so okay,
0: so that's why I'm like, I I get it, but I don't get it from the movie that the theatrical cut of the movie.
1: Well, you know? I I I think it just goes down to. Warner Brothers wanted this at a certain runtime
0: well it was it was a, a creative decision because they wanted to make the character of Constantine even more isolated mm. but I do think that it's it it adds more like the characters the characters, and the world that he's in is what I like about this movie mm-hmm. yeah the, the plot stuff with it with the I don't, I don't like it. I think the Spear of Destiny stuff, I don't like any of that. I don't think you need those scenes at all. I would rather have Michelle Monaghan in the
1: movie. I don't know about needing Michelle Monaghan, particularly her character, the concubine. I think you needed succubus. more... Succubus, sorry. Uh, concubine, <laughs> the succubus. But I think we needed more of Hennessy, B-Man. Uh, I'll take more Rachel Wise. I'll take more Angela. But I think especially Balthazar and Gabriel because... I think those are some characters that feels like they, they had stuff removed. And I'm like, Michelle Monaghan, in theory, could have been interesting. But when you've already got a, a great list of characters, use what you've got, you know. And if the keys to make him isolated, then yeah, take Mon- Michelle Monaghan out. Like, just make it so Constantine does not have sex with anyone. He's just lonely Oof. and depressed and not even sex will make him happy.
0: Having sex with somebody who doesn't care that you're dying is pretty...
1: It be I don't know. That's pretty isolating, right? It is the de- it is depressing, <laughs> but I don't know. I think um, I think it was I mean fine it's not
0: at the end. It's it's not our movie, so we can't say. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think I would have preferred it because it's more crazy characters interacting with each other. You have yeah. your femme fatale in the movie, actually.
1: I think it's fine, but I don't know. I, I mean, I think this movie could have benefited with like 15 30 more minutes. I, I will say this, this was back in 2005 so we weren't getting a lot of movies that were doing the right. pushing the 2 and a half hour. I mean now it seems like every other superhero film's pushing the length even more. I'm not saying that the next Keanu uh, uh Constantine might be that long, but I, I I feel like it might be pushing 210 215, may, maybe even 230. Mm.
0: We'll see. We'll see. Hopefully it'll be a little bit more focused for me. Um but And lean even heavier into the noir stuff. but Those are my issues with the movie. The pace and the repetitive information, which I think is kind of the same thing. Anyway, let's go into our quotes. So this is the part of the episode where we talk about our quotes. Uh, Instead of giving a five-star rating for the movies, we talk about the movie in a line of dialogue from the movie. It either represents how we feel about the movie, how we feel about the conversation we just had, or maybe it's just our favorite line in the movie. It's uh, up to us. Um, But those are the rules. But George breaks the rules because sometimes he'll pick two, or he'll pick quotes that weren't even from the fucking movie. But that's okay. That's why we love him. George, (laughs) what is your quote?
1: I do have two quotes, both from this movie. One that's a bit more heartfelt and one that I think is really funny, but it kind of points to how shitty John's life is. Uh, so the first one is, the one I think is funny, is uh, Angela says to John, I guess God has a plan for all of us. <laughs> and John says, God's a kid with an ant farm lady. He's not planning anything. I loved it. I love that line. Perfectly sells. Perfectly indicates to me how John thinks, but also how God operates in this world. He really is a kid with an ant farm, or just a bunch of ants to him. And I love that. I love that description that already there tells me everything I need to know about God. He's an asshole in the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, My actual quote, which I really like is, uh, is when he's when Gabriel blasts him through the, through the pool, through the, um, through the building. And he's like beaten and he's on the ground and he's speaking to God. And he's like, I know I'm not one of your favorites. I'm not even welcomed in your house, in your house but I could use a little attention. And I like that movie because on some level, that's kind of how I feel about this movie. I don't think this movie got enough attention. Mm. I think it's turned around in recent years, kind of with a cult following, but I think there has a lot of great merits. It's, it's no Matrix, obviously, even though it tried to be. It, and some would argue it's not even as good as the comics. I've never read them, so I can't say, but there is still a lot of good to this. And I, I think it could use a little attention.
0: Nice. Uh, my quote comes from the end of the movie, the very, very end, when he puts the gum in his mouth. Uh, it's he says, "I guess there really, I guess there's a plan for all of us. I had to die twice just to figure that out." Like the book says, he works. His works. He works in mysterious ways. Some people like it. Some people don't. Uh, and that's how kind of how I feel about the movie um there's parts where I really really like it and there's parts where I'm like but on the whole you know it 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 works you know it works enough for me to want to do this episode it works enough for me to want to watch the movie again um and towards the end of the movie I'm like having a really good time I'm looking forward to Keanu Reeves coming back to playing Constantine again
1: yeah, yeah, same. And for Frances Lawrence to get a second shot at it. I hope um,
0: Rachel Weisz comes back too.
1: Yeah, I do she's too. She's so
0: good in the movie. There's that, I think the scariest scene in the movie is when you think they succeeded in the exorcism. Oh and yeah. She has this like horrified look on her face. I'm like, it makes me so uncomfortable. I'm like, what's happening? I don't remember this part. And she's like, get it out! And then the it it, uh, camera pans down to her stomach and you see like the demon in her. I'm like, oh, it's so good.
1: Yeah, I will say, oh, that is something I did want to say, you know, for our spooky month, Constantine isn't really a horror film, it has horror elements, it's got action, it's got noir, it's got fantasy, it's got a lot of different things, Um, it does fit kind of nicely in the middle between Hellraiser and Hocus Pocus, you know, Uh, it's not a big horror, horror film, but if you're not a fan of horror, I think you can watch this and be fine because there are some spooky things in there. Like mm-hmm. that demon coming out of her stomach is gnarly. You know, and Balthazar's face is like some pretty good body horror. You know, like with the half-breeds, when the holy water penetrates their skin and they start smelting, it's melting, and you see like the green skin. Mm-hmm. That's some neat body horror. Like that's entry-level body horror yeah. and entry-level... This has like entry-level body horror, exorcism, uh you know kills gore and i'm like okay if you're a noob there's a great film to start there's a good barometer because if you can't handle this movie oh then you, all right we got to step back down <laughs> you gotta maybe go with hocus pocus for a while yeah all right
0: well that's enough for this episode we will see you well you can find us on social media on twitter instagram and tiktok At retrograde underscore pod. Retrograde underscore pod. We also have a YouTube uh, retrograde podcast. Three words. We have a Discord. Just DM us on our socials and I'll invite you in. Um, We'll be coming out with another spooky-themed episode in two weeks. Uh, We will be covering john carpenter's the thing
1: yeah so this is a this is a good one this is like a straight car classic body horror real legit shit like it's this is probably the scariest movie on the um, what we've done so far i'm really excited man this is gonna be a good one i've never seen it i'm
0: excited too
1: oh oh john carpenter and kurt russell match made in heaven so i'm excited
0: Absolutely. Okay. Well, with that, we will see you in two weeks. Bye bye.